panic attack that we're seeing basically across the country uh, when oh, no. it comes to everything that's uh, <laughs> everything that's basically come out. Um, it's been a hell of a week. It has been. Well, I, I'm going to call it a victory week. It has been a victory week, I guess would be the best way to put it. It's been a lot of really good political victories. And I know this for several reasons. Uh, reason number one that I know this is watching people who don't like Trump. And let's be yeah. honest, by extension, don't seem to like the current Republican Party or want to see it be successful, um, are in a very bad mood and having just an absolute uh, rage fits all over social media. Um, and number two, uh, the left is in complete and total uh, disaster cleanup mode. Oh. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but the primary and fun one um, is, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but it's uh, the uh, special counsel's revelation that uh, Joe Biden did, in fact, do bad things. He you know, retained classified information that he wasn't supposed to have. He also disseminated that classified information to a biographer, which, by the way, is a horror. Uh, one of the things that happened uh, that made everybody hate uh, David Petraeus. If you guys remember General mm. Petraeus, that's exactly the same thing. Barely. I mean, he had an affair with his biographer, too, but uh, he got in trouble because he gave her like a classified calendar or some something of that nature. I didn't go too deep into it. But the point is, is that um, that's what David Petraeus got in trouble for. Same same exact thing. Um, but the special counsel said that Biden was too decrepit and uh, the cleanup operation on that is something to behold, but there's a few other stories to cover first. Um, oh. The first one, because we don't actually have the result of it, but the first one being that the Supreme Court heard arguments against Colorado's bill to try to remove Donald Trump from the ballot because he engaged in an insurrection. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so that's the entire... What people need to understand about this Supreme Court decision is the left is going to try to frame the loss in this Supreme Court decision as just the Supreme Court telling uh, Colorado that they can't take Trump off the ballot. But that that's not actually how a court works. You see, the oh. reason that Colorado is taking Trump off the ballot is they're saying that he is not a lot like he is not capable of running for president of the United States because he violated the 14th Amendment by engaging in an insurrection. So if the Supreme Court says no, that means the Supreme Court is acknowledging that Trump didn't do those things. Otherwise, they would say uh, yes, would they not? That's very true. Now, the left is going to try to frame this as, well, no, they were just, they're not saying that Trump didn't engage in an insurrection. They're just saying that the state of Colorado can't remove him from the ballot for it. Bullshit. It's an amendment of the yeah. United States Constitution, which means that the well, Supreme Court completely yeah. has the right to rule on it. Because they can say whether or not Donald Trump violated a constitutional amendment of the United States Constitution. It's their purview. Very true. Because if Colorado were successful in their argument, would it not 
mean that other states would then be able to remove Donald Trump from the ballot for engaging in an insurrection and violating the 14th Amendment. Well, certainly. Okay, so the opposite As probably should... was exactly the plan. Yeah, so the opposite would obviously also be true. <laughs> well, I think a lot of liberals would probably look at this and go, well, he hasn't been like convicted of staging an insurrection, and that's really... I think a lot of liberals will interpret it interpret it as it wasn't successful because he hasn't been convicted. Right. And that's a really good point to make because then you can follow up that point with you've had years to fucking do that. Well, see, the Republicans <laughs> just keep getting in the way of us getting justice for the horrors of the January 6th Holocaust where six million senators died. <laughs> six gorgillion senators. Yes, they were so ter- they were so terrified, especially AOC, who wasn't even in the building, but does in fact suffer trauma and PTSD from it. Of course, you if y'all remember that, the poor Latino senators. There's nothing nothing worse has happened since probably, I mean, the killing fields of Cambodia. Well, nobody knows what that is. It was Pearl Harbor wrapped in nine eleven. That's true. It was like three 9-11s plus one, half of October 7th. <laughs> yeah, now it's an October 7th. We have to add an October 7th to it. Um, <laughs> speaking, speaking. Well, I, I've, I have something funny about uh, um, Israel's involvement in American politics soon, um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But that's the, um, as, as we're seeing here in the chat, like even, even Kentanji, Kentanji Brown Jackson who was Biden's pick, who Biden's diversity hire to the Supreme Court. Um, even she didn't like the arguments that were coming from the Colorado uh, representative lawyers. Just they were just they're awful. And so um, there are people who are saying that it is entirely possible that the Supreme Court could turn around and come back with a nine zero ruling, which means even all the wow. liberal justices. Now, what's interesting about this is if something like that happens, that is going to be insane because the other side of the coin on this is when the ruling does get released, the left is ready and prepared to run with the idea that it was all the conservative justices just being political. That's going to be their immediate answer. But if you have liberal justices that vote as well, that's going to be a huge problem for them. Because how you know how the hell do you sell yeah. that? Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's because like, well, I don't, I don't want to get into what would be logically legal because liberal there's liberal justices on the Supreme Court, and it's not like they actually care about the law. Most of them are legitimately just activists, which is why they're on the Supreme Court. It's one of the surefire and kind of longest running operations that the left has had in destroying the United States was putting uh, activist judges on the Supreme Court who rule for the power of the left rather than the interpreta- proper interpretation of the Constitution. Right. I Which mean, is, I mean, like, that's one of the complaints we often have is people saying, well, you know, this will all get canceled in the Supreme Court. They'll find it that it's actually con- not unconstitutional, con- you know. But the, the worry is when you look at the justices on the Supreme Court and how they rule, the liberal justices on the Supreme Court 
clearly have an agenda that is against finding in favor of the Constitution. Yeah. Like to them, pushing liberal nonsense is more important than actually supporting the Constitution, which is rather worrying considering the position they hold. But that doesn't change the fact that it is still the position that they it is still what they do. Mm -hmm. The the goal, their goal is to find interpretations that align with the liberal ideology, the liberal worldview and ideology rather than um, what is actually constitutionally understandable and acceptable yeah and i don't think i don't think that the liberal justices are going to rule against this colorado attempt because they think that it's unconstitutional i think that they're going if they if they rule against it it's going to entirely be because they're worried about how the turnaround on it will be well then all of these republicans will just end up um taking democrats off the ballot and it'll just become right. basically open warfare. They're not going to do it because Colorado overstepped its constitutional authority or anything like that. They don't give a shit about that. It's, oh, this is going to hurt. Right. This could hurt the left. I'm not going to do it. That's the only reason. So don't don't think that suddenly, um, you know, I don't want to see a bunch of, uh, you know, Sonia Sotomayor based question mark memes, because I mean, I'm not saying that those <laughs> will happen, but to be completely fair. People can be really stupid. Um, and I'll get to some of that, too, because God. Um, sure. Well, actually, I'll, I'll cover it now because somebody actually did throw it in chat. So uh, a, a small thing. A lot of people on X are very excited because Michael Rappaport, he's the uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't actually know what he's been in. He's an actor and I don't recognize him from any movies though i'm i'm sure i've seen him but he's he's the guy who regularly would do like a uh, forward facing selfie where he's just like walking down the road and he would just bitch oh, in, yeah. incessantly about trump um with his like awful like it's either a new yorker i think it's a boston accent with his just gross boston accent um where he would just bitch piss and moan about trump all the time well apparently now mm-hmm. joe biden is so bad that Michael Rappaport is like, yeah, I might actually vote for Trump. And this was something that came out a couple of months ago and people got so excited, which is just so dumb, but they got very excited over it. But even now there's a new thing where Michael Rappaport came out and was like, uh, basically admitted that he was wrong about the whole uh, Trump's a very fine people remark. Where, you know, uh, from Charlottesville, where he ran around and said that, you know, Donald Trump called neo-Nazis very fine people. Oh, my God, he's so terrible. Um, And now he he admitted on a podcast uh, that he was like, oh, yeah, that's I now know that that was untrue, that that's not what he said and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, well, Michael Rappaport is still probably a massive shit lib. So stop. Stop getting excited. And it's just, I know that this is a silly thing for me to get annoyed by, maybe, but I'm so annoyed that the right wing has been so like, let me phrase it this way. There are people on the right that want so bad to be accepted by the left that they get so infatuated when some leftist asshole throws them a bone. And it's like when Bill Maher says something that's... yeah basically just logical like when bill Maher just thinks about something for more than two seconds and says yeah this is a bad idea we shouldn't do this and everyone goes bill Maher based 
No. Yeah, Bill. Bill no. Bill Mayer, Bill giant an enemy. He's yeah. just saying what he needs to say to because his politics have become too embarrassing to maintain. Yeah, Bill Mayer, giant fucking shit lib. <laughs> like yeah. Michael Rappaport, giant fucking shit lib. They might agree with us, but that just means that it's because it's so bad for the Democrat Party. But they're not right. your friends. It's the same as when people point out, it's like, you know, George Carlin probably would have stood against all this COVID nonsense. It's like, no, he wouldn't. Like George Carlin was a was a liberal. All of these people support liberal nonsense and they only don't when it becomes too disagreeable to their perception to it becomes more advantageous to not support it. It's like yeah. Bill Maher, Michael Rapport, any of these people will say whatever they need to say to increase their own personal standing. Yeah. Like that's the goal. The goal is to trick you. It's the same as like John Stewart. It's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't like Democrats, policy, certain Democrat policies. It's like, yes, you do. You just, you're just so embarrassed. They're just so embarrassing. You have to, you, you have to say that you can't maintain this illusion that you're actually bipartisan unless you lie to us. Yeah. Being, um, be sometimes being the quote bad kid gets you more headlines. Like, Everyone forgot about Michael Rappaport, but now that he's saying mm -hmm. this, he's in the news cycle again. So this is good for his brand. Right. So, you know, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't trust these people. Don't give them the time of day. They hate you and they want you dead and they'll lie to you to try and disguise that fact. Yeah. Um, another thing that's, um, really fun is uh people keep talking about naib bukili i think it's bukili he's the president of el salvador uh i don't yeah, know the guy anything that put all of the murderers in prison yeah is he so the crime rate by like 90 percent so remind me is he the one like remember that video that came out where it showed all the like gang members with their hands on their head and they were like duck walking yeah. at high speed is yeah. that him yeah yeah, that shit yeah that's was awesome. him he was just like what if we just arrested <laughs> everyone that we know is a criminal they're all in jail and the crime rates dropped like 90%. Okay, he so just arrested all of the criminals and put them in jail. I don't know a lot about this guy. I don't know a lot about El Salvador because it's not the United States, but it's interesting because <laughs> this was shared in our chat by HDR Cynical. Let me, let me bring this up. So Ilhan Omar put, posted a tweet and said, I led members of Congress in sending a letter to Secretary Blinken urging action on threats to democracy in El Salvador. Uh, she she wrote this yeah. on uh, January 31st, so 11 days ago. Um, the State Department must review its relationship with El Salvador and defend democratic values. The Salvadoran people deserve free and fair elections without fear of repression. So she put that out. And uh, yeah. uh, Naib Bukili uh, responded with, we are honored to receive your attacks just days before our election. I would be very worried if we had your support. <laughs> That's now, funny. for reference, uh, they had their election and he won by, what was it, like 90%? It was something insane. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous amount well because he put all the criminals in jail he's dropped the crime rate. he's massively improving his country now i'm not oh, no he's not a he's not a neoliberal like our greatest democracy shill like well if if i have to sacrifice democracy to drop the crime rate by 90 percent in el salvador one of the countries that had before this guy one of the highest murder rates 
Well, what what value was democracy in the first place? Well, that's that's the problem too. Is he's dropped the murder rate by ninety three percent, but that could still mean that it's extremely murdery in El Salvador because yeah. it was such yeah. a shithole. Right. Well, the thing is, it was mm-hmm. one of the highest murder rates in the world. Yeah. And now it's suddenly not over the course of just a couple of years with the doing the incredibly simple thing of simply. What if we just put everybody in? What if we just put all the criminals in prison and then they couldn't murder people? So, and it's he, amazing that the reaction of the U.S. ruling class to that idea is pulling out hair and gnashing of teeth, which tells me that the efforts they have made, which was like defunding the police, changing all of our uh, law, our judicial reform, has actually been with the idea that we want to increase the crime rate, that it is good for democracy to increase the crime rate. Uh, The city of Seattle, where I happen to live, for the last, I think, four years, has each successive year hit the highest number of murders in the past 60 years. And then the next year, it'll top that again. Because why? In the last couple of years, Democrats defunded the police. They changed how the legal system worked. They changed a bunch. Basically, you now can't get arrested for pretty much anything, unless you maybe kill a guy. And even then, you probably get out on bail. And that's the world Democrats have created. It's the one that they clearly want. And looking at their reaction to places like El Salvador, you go, oh, this is not a bug in the system. This is a feature of the system. The feature of the American system seems to be we have to have a higher crime rate. You go, well, that who benefits from this? Why is that good for any citizen? And the answer is, it's not. Well, and and what's what is fascinating about that, though, is in almost any time, mm-hmm. if there were in almost any time, if if there were a president that had a high every time we see a high approval rating for a president that's not loved by the left, they're going to claim that it was a stolen election somehow. Because like like I think about which we'll get to the Putin interview too, like Vladimir Putin like gets huge returns, uh, yeah. in in his elections, uh, something like it's like seventy five percent, but we're always told that those are just stolen. Like oh, there's no competition; they're stolen. It's it's, it's always got to be stolen. It, right. Is there ever going to be a situation where we can see a politician actually like win 90 percent of the vote and not have uh, everyone suggest that it has to be some sort of. So, like, is there such a thing as a popular? Well, I guess that's the whole thing is it's now incumbent on the left to prove that this election was somehow stolen. Uh, all I know <laughs> is that Joe Biden got the most votes of any president in history. Yeah, because he was so damn popular. Just so popular. He never hit. He didn't even need to campaign. Yeah. He just, they just wheeled his corpse out on stage and people showed up in legions of American voters decided that he was their guy. So I, I, I think that our elections clearly are so incredibly robust and good that of course we can, con- of course we can critique the, the voting patterns of other countries because there's no, it was the, I was told by the media that it was the freest and fairest election, I think, in the history of the world. It's it's one of those things that's just like, it's so incredibly frustrating and infuriating that we, we have we have to sit there 
We have, we have to sit here dealing with all of this. Basically, the here's the whole thing. First of all, the the fact that democracy ha- is now, when, whenever a leftist says the word democracy, they are referring entirely to their agenda. That to them is democracy, yeah. and anything that's not their agenda is anti-democracy. And I don't know what their intent of that is, aside from making me hate democracy. Basically, don't ever talk to me about democracy because it always means leftist shilly nonsense. Because any time something that the left disagrees with uh, is voted for by the majority of people, it's anti-democratic. Right. And so I'm not sure what the intention of the left trying to refer to all of their their wants and wishes as democracy. I'm not sure what the intent of that is aside from making me not want to support democracy. Yeah. Because it comes down to like, if, if democracy is, I get stripped of all of my rights and forced to become just tax cattle for a subclass of people recently imported from every third world country who decide not to work. (laughs) <laughs> what value is democracy yeah then then i don't want it yeah like is democracy is quote democracy making a world that's better for say us and our children no well then uh, of what value is it it's that's uh, just kind of the thing it's like the same with the constitution the constitution should be delivering us a world which is more free, prosperous, secure for future generations. And it's currently not doing that. So I feel like it would be totally reasonable to suggest that well, maybe we abandon the Constitution. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that would be the best thing we could do, but it's wouldn't. But when looking at the situation going, clearly something here isn't working. Something needs to be changed. And if it's and it and everything should be on the table. There should be no sacred cows. We should be willing to investigate and change anything. Like maybe there should be more amendments to the Constitution or something. But something about the current situation in the United States, the status quo cannot last because it is clearly not to our benefit to allow it to last. What does the U.S. look like in twenty years if the if trends continue? Probably not a place I want necessarily want it to be. So. Yeah, no, and it's uh, it's funny. Green Badger on our chat here says the founding fathers were very clear on their opinions of democracy. Yeah, well, and and then shortly mm-hmm. after our revolution, the French had a d- democratic revolution that was uh, yeah. a, a complete mess. So there's a reason why we have a representative republic to stop this kind of idiocy. Yeah. Speaking of um, a really good, uh, I think, um, example of the Democrat party and their views of quote democracy. Um, it's Super Bowl Sunday in case you all forgot. Uh, you know, so a lot of people are going to watch a football game and, you know, have a good time. Uh, the lions didn't make it. Uh, I paid attention to the season. Uh, my, my son got really into football. So it was a lot of fun to sit and watch it with him. And the lions did really well, which made me lose a massive bet for my son, because I figured with, you know, 37 years of experience, I could tell him, dude, don't root for the Lions. You'll just be disappointed. They made it all the way to the NFC championship and lost to the 49ers. That's why the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. It was a great season for them. Uh, they did incredible, but they didn't make it. So uh, I don't care about 
this Super Bowl because it would have been awesome to see Detroit win uh, mostly because it's nice to see your home hometown home you know home state win but also the celebration would have burned Detroit to the ground uh, and that's an inherent benefit um <laughs> but as is normal in the you know silly uh ridiculous world that we live in um Joe Biden by the way declined to do an interview uh, there was an offer to do an interview that would air during the Super Bowl. He declined to do it, which, you know, that was that came out earlier this week. And a lot of people said, well, yeah, of course he declined to do it. He's a bumbling idiot. It would be bad for him. But he made uh, he made a commercial. He, he made a little statement oh, that he's going to put out for Super Bowl Sunday. And um, here's here's his statement. This this is what the president of the United States wants to uh, wants to present to the American people in one of the most watched television events of the year, the Super Bowl. This is what the president of the United States is going to talk to people about. The Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. Bag of chips has fewer chips. They're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. Yeah, I also get okay, okay, grandpa. Like, <laughs> God, you know, you ever go to the store these days? That's just smaller. That's just ridiculous. I also uh, okay. hate. I also hate getting less for my money, which is why I don't think Joe Biden should be president. Yeah. Like, hey, Joe, <laughs> what, why on earth is does that situation exist? Yeah. <laughs> who, who possibly, whose economic policies could possibly have predicted this? Yeah, Joe, Joe Biden goes in front of America. Uh, <laughs> goes in. Um, I'm actually tweeting this right now. I should say, I don't know, posting it. Is that the word now? Um, goes in front of America during the most watched, one of the most watched, um, during one of the most watched television events of the year to complain about uh, uh to complain about bidenomics <laughs> like like uh, i honestly i think this is a very genuine thing from the president uh, you know i think that his advisors probably control a lot of what he does and says but i think that he this is something that absolutely comes from his his own heart yeah is it because he yeah. is it because he brought up ice cream? <laughs> yeah, like what do you, what I, it, you, it seems like this would be something that he's absolutely sincere about. And it's like, all right, all right, Biden, you know, we we kind of control everything you do and say on the air. But you get to pick the thing you can you can pick whatever you want to talk about for the Super Bowl. He's like, I hate that ice cream comes in smaller containers now. OK, sir, that's great. You know what? Yeah, run. Let's go. Let's do that. That sounds great. You can. You know, you're excited about that. And that's what really matters to us is that you're energetic about this this issue. Sure. <laughs> like, what what kind of slow day at the White House was it where they're like, I don't know, just let him ramble about ice cream. He loves it. I, what is... I, I, he's like, I'm annoyed that ice cream's in smaller packages too, Steve. 
So just let the president say this. What what in the hell is the deal with the ice cream thing? It's like, it's one thing to have like kind of the cutesy little like, ah, oh, you know, he really likes ice cream, but they like play it so much as if it's like, like, like there's a voter out there that's just like, well, God, you know, I was thinking about voting for Trump, but then I got myself a cone of Rocky Road and I realized that Joe Biden's my fucking guy. I mean, I'm sure there's an ice, a couple ice cream lovers out there that listen to this and go, finally, a politician that represents my interests. <laughs> I've been talking about this for years, how the ice cream companies, how big cream big is cream. screwing us. I don't don't let's don't say big cream on the show. It's going to come up on some search algorithm for some weird shit. Yeah, I found you when I was looking for big cream. Um, hey, it, uh, any publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> Green Badger on our chat says, why in my day you could get five gallons of ice cream for a nickel. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Fucking, yeah. Gas used to be two cents. I fucking know. <laughs> like, you know, you used to get more for your money. I know. And then you fuckers kept destroying the economy. Maybe we you shouldn't know what be. really grinds my gears. <laughs> How everything's made out of plastic these days. Back in my day, everything was metal and it was made in America. Yeah. Concerned. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you used to be able to fly on just a thimble full of corn oil. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grandpa. Well, actually, and honestly, interesting. This is actually a pretty interesting view into Biden's mindset. Now, I don't think he's really in charge of anything, but let's say he is. This makes his reactions to all sorts of things in the world make a lot more sense. Like the, um, you know, one thing that, of course, has always been curious to me is why do we have this insane like hatred of Russia? Well, you know, if you're Biden and you're just like, well, you know, I, the. You used to be able to get a gallon of ice cream for five cents. Yes, yeah, Grandpa. And the goddamn communists over there in the Soviet Union. Okay, well, they fell apart like 30 years ago. No, no, they're just still got a... Well, when we had some some missiles, we could point at them. I bet they're still trying to take Cuba. Well, I mean, that's true because he does talk to dead people. Well, he did talk to dead people. I mean, it is a rather shocking that whole the, the classified information thing where they basically said he's too incompetent to be held accountable for with, with holding classified intelligence that seems like that should be disqualifying to continue maintaining it like you should be impeached on that report well so 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 this is this is what's interesting is is real quick before we get into that, which we're going to get into that now, but before we get into that, that wasn't the first gaffe he had. Like, like there was a big thing. Obviously, everyone knows that this this um, special counsel report came out. But before that came out, I've got a story here from uh, the Independent, and it's in in a in his second blunder of the week. President Joe Biden has now claimed he spoke to another dead European politician in a campaign event oh, speech. The 81-year-old president appeared at a series of campaign fundraiser events in New York on Wednesday, where he declared that he had discussed the January 6th Capitol riots with Chancellor of Germany, Helmut Kohl, 
during a G7 meeting in the UK in 2021. And then Helmut Kohl told me and said, what would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the London Times and learned that a thousand people had broken down the doors of the British Parliament, killed some bobbies on the way in to deny the prime minister to take office, Mr. Biden said. He echoed the blundering story at another event the same day. The only issue is that Cole had already been dead for four years at that point, passing away in 2017. Oh, dear. Mr. Biden appears to have been trying to refer to another former chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, who was in office okay. at the time of the apparent 2021 conversation. So we're supposed to believe that, well, he just mistook the name, except it was Angela Merkel. That's a pretty big difference. Yeah, typically, like, if you kind of forget someone's name, yeah, okay, sure. Typically, you don't forget, you know, you you, you don't you don't forget um, someone's, you know, like, if it's a man or a woman. Right. And, and that's, that's the problem is like, we, we keep, we keep hearing, you know, we keep hearing excuses and there's more. And let me, um, what was the, what was the other one? Um, so I, well, twice referred to the late German chancellor Helmut Kohl instead of former chancellor Angela Merkel. Okay. I'm trying to see who the other, the other person was. Unless it was the same person twice. He just kept saying it twice. Although, yeah, yeah. I mean, Angela Merkel does kind of look like a man, so that's true. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. Speaking at an event in North Las Vegas, Biden confused Francois Mitterrand, the former French president who died in 1996, for French President Emmanuel Macron. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was like, like, uh, the French president is, oh shit. Who's that guy? Uh, um, uh, I remember what the last one was, but the new one is, oh geez. I mean, but like, let's be honest here. Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, like those are not uncommon names. Oh, most certainly not. No, they are. And they've been the president. They've been the leaders of their countries for decades. Yeah. Or they, well, maybe yeah. not decades. That, I know at least Macron's been in there for at least like five years. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's, yeah, like it's it, been the entire... It, Biden has never met the president of France and have it not be Emmanuel Macron, at least while he's been president. Right, right. So, yeah, it's a... A little weird. I mean, and but interestingly, like he, he seems to be like kind of trapped in the 90s. Because remember, he was vice president. You yeah. know, he was also vice president, you know, from 2008 to 2016. Um, mm -hmm. Yet he seems to only remember, remember leaders from like the 90s. But anyway, this does segue. So th those things happened earlier this week. Then the special counsel dropped, special counsel her dropped his report. And in dropping his report, he said, like, ah, oh, we're not going to prosecute Biden basically because it would be unethical due to his compromised mental state. 
That's that's oh, that, that that's what I derived from his statement. You know, it's like a jury would find him to be an elderly but forgetful man, like a kind elderly sure. but forgetful old man, which to me in lawyer speak, it's I feel like it would be unethical to put this guy on trial because he wouldn't be able to get a fair trial due to his compromised mental state. Sure. You know, like there, there's, yeah, there, that yeah. seems, seems very reasonable, which it's interesting because, because the, the reaction from the left, because, you know, special counsel, her came out and was like, yeah, this, this guy can't remember basic facts. And in his report, he even states Joe Biden could not remember whether or not he was still the vice president of the United States or mm, remember concerning. or remember the years that he was vice president of the United States. He also couldn't uh, uh, couldn't recall within years, within several years um, when his son Bo died. Oh. Um, so which, by the way, the special counsel likely put that in the report to back up his his reasoning. Look, I'm not charging this guy because his his mental capacity is so diminished it would be unethical to try to put him in front of a jury and here is my examples of that diminished mental capacity now right what's the reaction well the reaction from the left is um absolutely attack the special counsel the media right. and well the white house put a memo out saying that that basically their their move forward for all the Sunday shows that are happening right now and have already happened this morning, it is attack the special counsel. Like basically completely discredit the guy who wrote the report and say that he's, you know, a MAGA extremist and uh, you know, a, a Trump guy and you know, all of these things. Which mm-hmm. By sure. the way, the easiest way to dismiss that is if he were a Trump guy or super mega, he would charge Joe Biden with a fucking crime. Right. And we all know that that's not true. We all know that he's that there's probably no one at any level of decision making in the Department of Justice who could be described as ultra mega. Yeah, I wish that was the case. Yeah, that'd be great. What a world to be alive. What a world to live in. But even when Trump was president, I don't think there was hardly anyone in the in the Department of Justice who was ultra mega. Well, I mean, in the Trump presidency, you see, you couldn't um, you couldn't question the political uh, affiliations of a special counsel. You couldn't even suggest it was it was disgusting to even suggest that Robert Mueller would be politically motivated. Yeah, how grotesque horror. of you to even suggest that Robert Mueller would be politically motivated in his years-long investigation into Russian propaganda. Yeah, oh, well, you know, if we're investigating it, it must be true. Yeah, speaking of doddering old men. Um Yeah, but just remember, you know, Robert Mueller for years, basically almost the entire Trump presidency it seemed, sat there conducting an investigation to come back with what people on the internet had already figured out. Yeah, this is all bullshit. It's not true. And it was made up. Yeah. And it took years for Robert Mueller to come back and go, yeah, what that guy on Twitter said. Yeah, that was right. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody that's called a right wing extremist on Twitter. Yeah, they were right. They were they were totally correct. Yeah, they were totally how, correct. How impress, impressive. Thank you for millions of dollars in a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Just like absolutely unbelievable. But you weren't allowed to question <laughs> whether or not that was politically motivated. But now, well, of course, it, it it would never be. But, it would but, never be. But now, but now, this is the good guys. Yeah. Now there's a secret. There's a secret shadow government within the Department of Justice that's actually ultra MAGA and is just trying to just trying to kneecap the Biden presidency by putting out such awful, horrible things as suggesting that uh, Joe Biden is just a bumbling, forgetful old man. And it's totally inaccurate. It's like. I mean, sometimes I forget the name of things. And, and so it's just, it's ridiculous to even suggest that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to even suggest that it's a, uh, uh, it's nothing more than just him kind of, you know, occasionally forgetting stuff. So of course I'm going to play for you a compilation of Biden forgetting things, uh, because this only happens occasionally, you know, it's something that everybody does that you forget the name of something is perfectly normal. So I'm going to play a compilation of what Democrats want us to believe is perfectly normal. So here we go. What's the song that is played where everybody is on the chair, everybody, at the, you know, uh, going, going to, uh, the, uh, you know, my mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are you? My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I heading? I keep forgetting I'm president. Where am I? No idea. Last night on the, the television, uh, uh, television, I was on a telephone. Rapidly rising uh, 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 and with, uh, with uh, I don't know. COVID has taken more than 100 years. is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foothill of the British season, there'll be gotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. NATO's purpose is to defend against aggression. Let me make that near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. I'm... My mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. My mind's going blank now. What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are you? My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I headed? I keep forgetting I'm present. Where am I? No idea. I don't think is the idea that um, the um, the political coverage. I want to thank and recognize Dr. John, John King, King of Song. King of Song. I can't get this to function at all. My mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are you? My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I heading? I keep forgetting I'm present. Where am I? No idea. No idea. No idea. That was great. That was a fun little song break. Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were so many samples that somebody was able to put together a two minute and 18 second song. 
Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly normal. That's uh, pretty crazy. Which, by the way, that's only like a few years. You know, that's yep. only over a number, you know, a, a few years. And we all have to look at it and remember, like, yeah, this is why he didn't campaign, by the way. It's very true. So like he, the guy's terrible. Well, and it's it's amazing, though. It is ap- absolutely amazing that we have that there is this concerted effort right now in media we're watching the media be like, oh, he forgets a couple of things and, and the right wing, like all of the news stories are about the right wing is pouncing on poor Biden, poor President Biden. He's just being so bullied by randos on Twitter. The poor guy. Mm-hmm. The other the other excuse, of course, too, is, um, you know, the the attacks against Israel had just happened, and Joe Biden was so upset by it that he just couldn't think straight. Oh, yeah. No, the guy shouldn't be president. I think he's president <laughs> based on fraud, and he is clearly not of a mental state to keep being president. And he's clearly not making decisions for our country. Like yeah. If you look how things have progressed in the United States over the last few years, clearly he's not in charge. <laughs> Somebody else is making these decisions. We do, someone that we didn't vote for, and we don't know who it is. And I don't really like that. Well, and and to make to make matters better is is in in this cleanup operation because it, it's we talk about how the left is trying to present this as like oh the right wing pounces oh they're so mean they're so bad they're just just a bunch of jerks and being you know rude to this kindly yeah. old man. Uh, the reality is is like the the Democrat Party is freaking out right now. Uh, begin. You can yeah. tell by their reaction. This is a massive threat against their power. The fact that, like, mm-hmm. you know, anyone bringing attention to Biden's mental faculty is a massive threat to their power because obviously, a lot of them. I mean, Americans have actually been polled on this. Uh, a a good majority of even Democrats have said that Joe Biden should not run for another term. And nope. a lot of Americans say that his his uh, uh, health and well-being, basically, or I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, were part of their concern. A big concern was his age and his in his inability to function was a concern for even Democrat voters. Now, this comes out when it's basically too late, really, to replace him. But part of their cleanup operation, they marched out. Miley, the chairman of the, the Joint Trader. Chiefs of Staff, to sit there. Yeah, the guy who the guy who had a plan on using the military against Donald Trump. Right. Just remember that this is the same guy, yeah. a guy who's a general in the army that had a plan on how to use the military against the president of the United States. Uh, He's a he, treasonous dog. Sagan? He's a treasonous dog, and that's saying something yeah. because I generally like dogs. <laughs> but um he he went on 60 minutes to talk about how just oh you know no oh, Biden's super sharp. 
Um, but they brought out another. So they, they bring out Miley, right? So military general, you have to think about how these optics work. You know, oh, it's a general. You know, people respect generals and he's a man in uniform. And so there's that. Uh, who else did they march out? Netanyahu. Some gay? Oh. No. Oh, Netanyahu wow. was in an interview today and asked about Biden's mental fitness. And of course he praised him. I mean, because Netanyahu wants all the money uh, that's, you know, Biden's promising to send to Israel. But the two, the the two main characters that were put forward, the uh, put forward to represent Biden's mental fitness were Miley and Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. Because if I want an opinion on my leader, I always go to a foreign country because I give a shit Mm -hmm. what a foreign country lead foreign country's leader thinks of my of my president. Right. Well, clearly you're not the intended audience for that conversation. Yeah, there are I, people to whom Netanyahu's opinion <laughs> might matter more, and those people are the ones I think they were trying to um, impress. Uh, so Namely, it's like, like uh, Democrat Democrat donors is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they got the they got they got the president of the other citizenship with which some of these people hold. <laughs> Well, yeah, Chuck, I mean, there's a lot of people like Chuck Schumer, for example, who have citizenship with Israel. And so, the, you know, I don't know if they vote for the Israeli president, but certainly it might be someone that they are very familiar with. And if he can reassure them that the American president is someone they want in office, then that seems very reasonable. Right. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and that, that, that is the other thing is, uh, so what's the option here? He's, uh, so he's actually totally mentally fit. So I guess he should be charged for possession of classified material. Well, no, he was probably just keeping it in his garage for legitimate reasons. He's so mentally fit that he was, you know, the rules don't apply. Yeah. And I don't think I need to remind anybody that, um, you know, because th- there's also the Trump classified documents issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference is, is that Donald Trump was the president of the United States and had the ability to retain classified documents because yeah. the Presidential Records Act uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, I don't actually know how the hell he got a hold of so many of them, because as a senator, you do not have the authorization to retain classified information. And in fact, he's supposed to he had notebooks. Too, so he wrote shit down, but you're supposed to go into a skiff, a secured compartmentalized information facility. You go in, you view the information and then you leave, but you're not supposed to take any notes. You're definitely not supposed to take any copies of anything. I don't know how anyone would even let you walk out with copies. Yeah. But like, he there's did. usually not even a printer. Yeah. Like, but he did. But he did. I mean, just like Hillary Clinton was storing classified information on a server in her bathroom that I don't know how you got that information out of a uh, secure facility because there's a bunch of stuff set up in, in place, safeguards to prevent that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people do it and they do it with impunity 
and they cl and clearly the system then says, well, yeah, no, the desired outcome is for people like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden to be able to play with classified information however they want. That is the desired outcome of the system, and the system is set up to protect those people because it wants them to have private access to classified information without oversight. The purpose of the system is what the system does, and the purpose of the system is to make sure that the political elite of the Democrats, like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, can do whatever they want. It's the purpose of the system is to ensure that we are flooded with foreigners. The purpose of the system is to ensure that we're just bled like tax cattle. And the purpose of the system is to ensure that we are, our rights and civil liberties are destroyed and subverted as much as possible. It's like the system can tell you what its intent is. But if you look at the fruits that it's bearing, if you look at the policies it pursues, that betrays the actual purpose of the American system, and it is not to serve us, the American citizens. Right. Well, and and to to your point, there's a lot of discussions about immigration. For example, uh, Mayorkas, you know, went to defend himself. So, not only not only yeah. does this poor son of a bitch have to defend Joe Biden being a bumbling idiot, uh, he also has to try to defend himself because there was a uh, an impeachment vote. Oh dear! Uh, this He's week that vote. failed because the Republican Party is stupid. Also, um, wasn't he asked, "Hey, you're doing a terrible job. Look at all this stuff that's happening," and his response was, "I'm Jewish." <laughs> it's like uh, like uh, and someone said uh the border situation is insane you are not defending the united states like where's our border security and he said well first of all i'm the son how would you dare make this accusations against someone who's the son of a holocaust survivor and i just go that's an incredible dodge and it betrays exactly what a lot of democrats think about these things it's the only reason they seem to really care about the holocaust is because they can use it to manipulate their political opponents the same reason, the only reason they care about, well, I'm a child of immigrants, was because then it justifies positions that are are used to destroy the United States. Well, here's the um, here's his statement today on Meet the Press as when he was pressured on on the um, amount of people that are crossing into the border and some of the issues that are happening. This this is this is his his response when pressed on immigration levels. No doubt there is gridlock on Congress, but do you bear responsibility for what is happening at the border, what the president himself has called a crisis? It certainly is a crisis, and well, we don't bear responsibility for a broken system, and we're doing a tremendous amount within that broken system. But fundamentally, fundamentally, Congress is the only one who can fix it. No. I, what? How's the system broken, though? <laughs> Like you're not doing anything that's in the system, but then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, it's broken. Yeah. So in other words, it's not my fault. The, 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 right. the turn is, it's not my fault. So to, to your point, um, the, uh, your, what, what you were saying with, uh, Mayorkas's response, this was between, uh, this was a, uh, uh, discussion between Josh Hawley and Mayorkas uh, earlier uh, earlier this month. Um, so on the 9th. So here's here's his responses. Frankly, Mr. Secretary, I think that your performance is despicable. And I think the fact that you are not willing to provide answers to this committee is absolutely atrocious. Mr. Chairman, may I? 
Like, if you'd like to have a, a minute to respond, you were oh, right. I, I would, and I'm not sure I'll limit it to 60 seconds. That's fine. Number one, uh, what I found despicable is the implication uh, that uh, this language, tremendously odious, um, uh, actually it could be emblematic of the sentiments of the 260,000 men and women of the Department of Homeland Security, number one. Number two, uh, Senator Hawley takes a adversarial approach to me in this question, and perhaps he doesn't know my own background. Perhaps he does not know that I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, okay, that, that, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> like, yeah, but I'm a child of a Holocaust survivor, so I can suck at my job and not yeah. have to face ramifications? Oh. Like, that's a weird way to put that yeah like is 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 he is what he's is what he's saying that like oh no you don't understand i'm not bad at my job you see i'm jewish which means i'm really good at my job flooding this country uh, with see, immigrants. i don't know it could go either way like i don't really understand <laughs> this, these people this sounds like like this kind of response sounds like it backs up like like white nationalist talking points because uh, you know, if you if you go into, you know, if if you look at some of the gr some of the groups and some of the claims that are made by like large white nationalist organizations, they say things like Jews are flooding the country with immigrants to try to replace the white population. That's like the, you know, the the uh, extreme level of the uh, great replacement conspiracy theory that the media tells us that white nationalists believe the great replacement theory is that. Um, that white nationalists say that, that white people are being replaced by immigrants and it's all being done by the Jews. Well, I and mean, now, Mayorkas was previously a board member of the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, which advocates for open borders. But so that, regardless that, of his Jewishness, he clearly has a history of promoting open borders and being part of open borders organizations, which is why it is absolutely insane that he is the head of the group in charge of protecting our borders. Well, right. Yeah. Well, of, of course. What? I, yes. Like, of, of course, he's he's an open borders advocate. He's he's well, he's a Democrat. Number one. Number two, um, you know, not only is he, you know, as we covered last week. Yes, he's he is the child of a Jewish Holocaust survivor. Um, he's also was in Cuba. His family, his family met in Cuba. Yeah. So, yeah, like first shock, everybody first immigrant to ever run the Department of Homeland Security uh, also seems to just want immigrants everywhere. So it's, it's almost as if immigrant is an identity and he's preferring his identity. Um, just change immigrant with white and tell me whether or not you would consider it ethical or proper. Yeah. You know, so it's just duh. But it's also just hilarious. He's like, oh, I'm I, basically, yeah, I'm Jewish. Is that supposed to be your defense yeah. that you're doing a good job? Well, it means you can't criticize me. I, what do you mean? Like, I'm the children of immigrants. Oh, well, then I can abs then I, that's even more reason to criticize your jobs. Like, oh, as a child of immigrants, you clearly have a conflict of interest in protecting America's borders. It's it's a ridiculous it's it's. I think it is done simply for the cameras 
mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. it sounds yeah. good. And they can say, look at these Republicans being mean to these immigrants. Yeah, well, and a bunch of Democrats will clap like trained seals. No, it's it's the like, well, first of all, I'm I'm the son of a of a Holocaust survivor. And it's see, Josh Hawley's a Nazi. Yeah, it doesn't Nazis. We keep talking about it doesn't. Okay, guys, he's a Nazi. It doesn't matter that that Mayorkas sucks at his job. What matters is that he's Jewish and Josh Hawley's being mean to him. You know, question mark, question mark, question mark. uh, Adolf Hitler. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just every time. It's like, hey, it's it's okay that there's immigrants flooding the border because at least we're not being called anti-Semitic. Right. <laughs> it's so, but, but, but. I, I, I guess the, my, the thing is, I don't think that this works. I think we're lampooning it. I think anyone else in that chamber that had a modicum of common sense goes, that's a really weird aside that clearly is meant as simply a distraction that in no way addresses the points being made about you're incompetent at your job, which is a good thing. Like, I think when these. The thing that sucks is we've been essentially hostage to ideas like this. Like, well, you know, the children of immigrants need to have, like, immig- children of immigrants and Holocaust survivors have, there's less of a burden of, of proof for their malfeasance, I guess, or whatever you'd want to say. Mm-hmm. It's like someone can just claim I'm a Holocaust survivor and so they're immune from criticism. I think we're watching the death of that in real time. And I'm, that is a very positive development. Yeah. And well, people like Mayorkas are going to kill it. Like, if you were a Holocaust survivor, they would should already be anno- annoyed by this. Be going like, listen, I actually, my parents actually were Holocaust survivors. Or, I mean, I'm not to, not to say that his parents were not, but someone that actually is a Holocaust survivor should go. I'm sorry, you can't just use that to try and get out of accountability for bad job performance. Yeah, like that cheapens the whole thing. Well, plus it's your parent. That's like you know you know what I mean. Like that's like me being like, well, like I mean, I was a veteran, so great. Yeah, one of the things that annoys me, like I don't. I don't think that anybody should use their veteran status as some sort of way to win an argument or gain, um, you know, unless you're speaking specifically about the military or something like that. It's It shouldn't sure. be used for any sort of gain. But I've also seen people who are like, well, I mean, I'd like I love like I love veterans. My grandfather fought in World War. Like nobody gives it like fuck you. Like, I hate that. I hate it was like, well, my grandfather was a veteran or my dad was a veteran. Yeah, well, you fucking weren't. So shut it. Yeah, but same. That's that's the same. Like, oh well, you know, I'm the child of a Holocaust survivor. Fucking okay. okay. You didn't su- like me. What does that mean for you? How does that like? It, it, uh, I mean, that, that, so there's this myth about the Holocaust that oh, it never would have happened if countries like the United States were so super nice and just let all the Jews mass immigrate in, which is just historically not true. I mean. But uh, that's what the left plays on. Like these poor immigrants in South America are facing their own Holocaust. And what are we going to do? Just deny them to let them get killed by, uh, I don't know who, like the South American Nazis, I guess. El Salvador Hitler? Yeah, El Salvador (laughs) Hitler is like, he's making it illegal to be a murderer. Oh my gosh. Like this is is basically Holocaust part two electric boogaloo. He's locking up the cartels. It's like literally the Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that's the only thing you can kind of surmise from it. It's absolutely bonkers. 
Let's be honest here. I know that everybody's a big fan of Bukili and I don't know anything about him, but I'm going to make the joke of maybe he reduced uh, all the murder rate by sending all those fuckers to us. Well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> there's a lot to be said for I think countries around the globe know that we have open borders mm-hmm. and they are just probably opening their prisons and being like, why would we keep our why would we keep all these people in prison when we could just send them to the United States? I think make them someone else's problem. I'm, I'm pulling this kind of out of my ass. And so I, I, I hope I'm at least somewhat accurate. I don't remember the name, but I, I, I believe that there was a representative from like it was like Qatar or the UAE mm-hmm. that talked about how stupid the open borders immigration in Europe was. And he sure. flat out said, we're sending you people we don't want. Yeah. Like you're so dumb. We're sending you criminals and people we don't want in our society. That's who's coming. Like you should really close your borders. You're being stupid. But speaking of yeah. open border stuff, there was, there was some, um, some news that came out from your home state in Colorado and it's from the mayor of Denver, the uh, Democrat mayor of Denver, Mike Johnson um, had to explain to his citizens services that had to be cut because of immigration. And so, so here's, here's that uh, news conference. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. Uh, I'm here to talk a little bit about the devastating impact of the failure of Republican leadership in Congress this week to pass comprehensive immigration change and the impact that will have on both city budgets and on services that we can provide for newcomers in the city. The second is we will start to have to greenlight a set of hard decisions about budget reductions across the city to meet those costs that we know will continue to arrive. We want to talk about two of those today. While they're the first steps, they unfortunately will not be the last and may not be the hardest. Um, uh, This is a plan for shared sacrifice. And so in terms of our first step on city cuts, um, we are announcing today we will make some changes both uh, to our services at DMV and to our services on parks and rec. Ah, so uh, uh, we we didn't get so Congress, federal Congress, by federal Congress didn't do a thing that my party wanted. So I'm going to punish you, the citizen of of the city of Denver. Yeah, make make that make sense Weird. because Republicans didn't do a thing I wanted. I'm now going to cut city services. Make. Make that make sense for everyone in Denver. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. And and it's right. additionally Denver and it and Colorado in general have done nothing but push sanctuary city, sanctuary state, open borders nonsense. Ah, I have the, the list. The city here. of Denver became yeah. a sanctuary city. Well, if you're a sanctuary city, maybe you should have planned to absorb millions of people flooding in from across the border. Well, there's a Democrat governor of Colorado. Jared Polis. Mm-hmm. So let's yep. t- let, let's talk about what uh, what what he signed into law while he's been in office. Twenty nineteen. What, 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 what pray tell did he sign into law? House Bill nineteen one one two four, preventing local oh. law enforcement cooperation with ICE. This bill included probation in the uh, included probation in the law, which keeps probation from notifying ICE when a criminal alien is released back into the community. 
Senate Bill 83 keeps ICE out of all courthouses and makes it illegal for ICE agents to enter courthouses to arrest illegal aliens. Senate Bill 21-199 gives state benefits to illegal aliens. The state estimated 162,000 illegal aliens at the time. Made available state benefits including dental care, mental health counseling, and family services. It also expands eligibility for property tax, rent, and utility subsidies. Senate Bill 21-105 four uh signed and passed to allow illegal aliens to get housing assistance senate bill 21-077 allowed professional credentials for illegal aliens hairdressers massage therapy tattooing etc 2021 established a defense fund with state money called the immigrant legal defense fund uh, tw- uh house bill oh. 23-1100 signed which stops immigration detention in county jails huh but neat. But you know, it's Republicans' fault. Not not that you literally encouraged illegal immigrants to come to your state by offering them a bunch of benefits, offering them a bunch of free shit, calling yourself a sanctuary city, and literally take keep making it illegal for ICE to do anything. And by by the way, this yeah. list was posted by the uh, the former field office director of immigration and yeah. customs enforcement well like, see the real thing that De- that denver is saying here is republicans are to blame for not passing mass amnesty and open borders because then all of these people flooding across the borders would immediately be citizens who could then start t- collecting welfare, being put in government housing, voting, holding jobs. They have this view that if we just let everyone that steps across the border and touches our magic dirt immediately become the American that we all know they are deep down at heart, then there wouldn't be a crisis. And we would just have all of these doctors and lawyers and astronauts just Dipping into our country and making it a better place, but because the evil Republicans make it so that they can't become just citizens immediately and hold jobs and start businesses and go to become astrophysicists here, they have to be their poor. <laughs> and so they need all of this tax money and they need to sleep in our police stations and live on our streets. And that's just so mean of them. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it is shocking that they are as naive as they are. So it's almost intentional and criminal, the level to which they pretend to be naive about this. Well, and and this dude's super angry because voters got a whiff of the bill that even Republicans like Mitch McConnell were going to try to pass through the Senate, uh, which was like, oh, we're going to help solve immigration. And by solve immigration, it was um, after what was it? Five thousand illegals came into come into the country a day then you can just start like once once you've reached the quota of 5000 immigrants illegally crossing our border you can really start to crack down and then deport them yeah immediately yeah. It, it put a it, it put a a cap on how many illegals could come into the country and we were supposed to celebrate it because which is hilarious because it suggests that you could just do that and you're choosing yeah. not to. And then Republicans are like, see, we're helping by trying to pass a bill 
that was like, okay, once 5,000 people walk into the country, then we can just shut it down, turn them around and deport them immediately. Mm -hmm. And it was like, see, I'm helping. It's like, you're, yeah, you're basically saying that you could just do that and not let anyone come in. I think that like, that's, that's the whole thing. If you could just stop them and deport them, why wouldn't you just do that right now? And they're like, oh, well, no, we're going to start doing it now. And it's like, no, you no, you're not. Yeah. And there were also provisions in there that were like, oh, you know, if the uh, uh, and it was like it, it didn't count if they were non-contiguous. So basically, it's just people yeah. from Mexico. And like, there's just a bunch of nonsense that was in this bill to include billions of dollars for Israel and billions of dollars for Ukraine, because that makes sense in an immigration bill. Uh, you know, it's, it's that whole, it's the same nonsense that we always see. Um, and I have to admit, you know, I I'm glad a, that voters got a hold of this and media got a hold of this and ran with it and pointed to everybody how shit a bill it was. And it was so bad that it didn't end up passing. And people are, you know, now demanding that, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh shoot, what's his name? Mitch McConnell be thrown out as leader because he's doing a terrible fucking job because bills like this are even being considered. Um, No one wants this. Yeah. Like (laughs) you're only, they're only doing this because they feel they are trapped by the Democrats because like, well, we have to cooperate with the Democrats because if we don't, then like, what do we do? Just stonewall and do nothing and lock, keep the government on essentially ineffective and all of their constituents would go. Yes, do that. Keep the government ineffective. We don't want I would rather have the government do nothing than do things that are actively bad for me. And maybe a big part of it is a lot of Republicans believe the lie that, you know, they have we have nothing to fear from masses of people swarming across our southern border. Maybe they actually believe that. Maybe they're too scared to recognize the reality that's staring them in the face that as this happens, it is going to and is, if not already has, destroyed America. I, I just don't understand how they see it, how they keep seeing this in terms of, well, it's probably politics just like it was back in the 80s where we all kind of go along to get along. It's like, I, I want all of these people gone. I don't want any politician who's been there for more than, say, the last five years even. I think I want all of them to be gone. I want the Mitch McConnells of the world. I want every all of them gone because they are, they have delivered us ruin. Yeah. At the, their long term, the tenure of Mitch McConnell. I don't even know when he started, but let's say it's back in the 70s. Look, how has America changed in that time? Well, everything's gotten worse. Everything's gotten worse when we're now looking on the verge of essentially economic and demographic collapse. Great. We're no longer as much of it. We're no longer a superpower. We can barely maintain the U.S. military at the standards we had. Oh, great. All of these people have completely failed us and should never be reelected. And they should never get an ounce of our support or an ounce of our pity. They are traitors who betrayed us for money, and they all need to go away. Mitch McConnell uh, became a senator in 2021. Okay, but what was his political career before that? That's what I'm looking at right now. Okay. Um, Oh, no. Wait, what? I'm wrong. He became the Senate Minority Leader in 2021. Holy God, of course I'm wrong. I'm so sorry. Jesus. He became the United States Senator from Kentucky in 1985. Wow. 
Holy shit. <laughs> so 1985, United States Senator from Kentucky. 19, that's the year I was born. 1985. Yeah. Before that, he was the a judge slash executive of Jefferson County from 77 to 84. Served as a United States Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legislative Affairs under Gerald R. Ford in 1975. Yeah. Has the country improved over his tenure in office? Has he made anything better? Or has he maybe just... Have things become worse? Like, clearly he's not done a good job. Maybe he's forestalled further, like, collapse. But that's still not something to be especially proud of, I don't think. Like, well, I stopped... I may, At best, he could maybe claim, like, well, I stopped the communists from destroying us as much as they would have. You're like, well, that's... That's really not all that impressive. I'm sorry. Oh, I just found something interesting. What's that? Under military service, Mitch McConnell, United States Army, July 9th, 1967 to August 15, 1967. So, you know, Vietnam. 37 Uh days... Medical separation. So he was in the military for 37 days? Medically separated. But but remember, remember, oh. Donald Trump's a draft dodger. You know, uh, what, what what was it? Um, uh, bone spurs. Yeah. Dude, Mitch McConnell, he, he had to have been drafted. This is 1967. Yeah. And he's medically he's medically released. That that one hundred percent sounds like you got you got drafted. And then yeah, yeah. I don't believe you. That's real weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't believe you. I think he, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's just for all the uh, true conservatives out there that are always like, well, you know, mm-hmm. Trump was a draft dodger, bone spurs, Mitch McConnell. Fucking served 37 days and was medically separated from the United States Army. And uh, he he seems to be doing well. Well, actually, let's see here. Uh, McConnell enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve as a private in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, This was a coveted position because reserve units were mostly kept out of combat during the Vietnam War. His first day of training at Fort Knox was July 9th, 1967, two days after taking the bar exam. Uh, So because he was a lawyer. And his last day was August 15th. Shortly after his arrival, he was diagnosed with optic neuritis and deemed unfit for military service and was honorably discharged. I mean, I don't know if that's not true, but at the same time, that doesn't make me like like Mitch McConnell any more or less. It's like, I mean, what's what's that Crenshaw? Crenshaw's as a Navy SEAL and yeah. a decorated Navy SEAL. And I think he's an absolute traitor to the country. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. It's like McConnell, maybe being a draft dodger. It's like, oh, good. I even more re- like, I don't care as much about the draft dodging as I care about. You've delivered the country into ruin well, with your terrible policies and your absolute disrespect and contempt for America. To, to the point, to the point that, um, to the point that you're making here, a, a medical professional made that decision um, in the army 
during wartime mm-hmm. said, no, not this guy. Same thing with Trump, because he went sure. in, and, you know, he, he went into go into the military after uh, being part of a uh, um, uh, a drill unit or something similar to uh, he went to like a military type school. Anyway, point is, he went yeah. to go get in and they said, no, not you. Um, and then they did the same thing for Mitch McConnell and everybody wants to make these assumptions that that suggests that the person somehow sweetened the deal or dodged the draft or whatever. But the point is that somebody made that determination. And if it's okay for Mitch McConnell to have that determination Mm -hmm. made, then it's okay for Donald Trump to have that determination made to your point. And also military service does not immediately suggest that somebody is patriotic or has our best interests at heart. Um, Shaw is exactly the perfect example. I yeah, mean, you can say that about a lot of people. John McCain, I wouldn't say is especially an American patriot, but he did serve in the military. I mean, uh, John Kerry which, served in the military, and I don't really hearts. consider him a patriot. I consider both of them actually rather treasonous. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what's the um, shoot? What's the Adam Kinzinger? He's still in. Yeah. That Vindeman character. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I mean, sorry. Miley, for for Christ's sakes. Like, Miley's a general in the U.S. Army. If anyone's a patriot, it should be him. But I think he's actually a traitor that would sell out the country for a bag of Cheetos. Yeah, well, <laughs> as Colleen is saying, especially officers. There is a theme. Especially officers. There's a theme to the stuff we're saying. They're all officers, man. Yeah, um, like some military officers are fine, but... If we are being honest, to be a coming military officer means you have to be good at playing certain politics. And I think that self-selects for a certain type of person mm-hmm. that is not necessarily motivated by patriotism and more personal ambition. Well, and it, it's funny that you bring up Vindeman because I, I have to see a lot of Vindeman stuff, but it's a very interesting situation. So in Northern Virginia... Eugene Vindeman is running for Congress. Oh, and, and that's his brother? That's his twin brother. Weird. Alexander Vindeman. His twin brother also serve in the military? Yes. they. So, yes, they were both lieutenant colonels. That's cute. And they were both in, like, the same relative area. They were both in Washington, D.C. They were both. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is. Eugene Vindeman is trying to sell himself as a guy who helped blow the whistle on Trump's phone call. But Alexander mm-hmm. Vindeman was the guy who went in front of Congress. So it's very right. confusing because sure. I, I see these campaign ads where he's like, when I saw something was going wrong with President Trump, I blew the whistle. But it's like, wait, then why was your brother the one in front of Congress? Yeah, because his brother went in front of Congress and ended up having to admit that he had only heard about the conversation. The claim, right, when he went in front of Congress, the claim was, is that he overheard a conversation where Donald Trump was trying to pressure Zelensky uh, to give him dirt on Joe Biden or else he would withhold weapons. But then he had to admit in front of a a congressional committee, well, no, I just heard someone say that that's what Trump said. Right. And now his brother is trying to run for office, which is fucking bananas fascinating. But his brother's trying to run for office and claim that he's uh, 
that he helped blow the whistle, which is just wild. So it could be that both of these brothers were involved. These two twin brothers that, by the way, also happen to be Ukrainian. Oh, by ethnicity? No, they're like from Ukraine. Oh. Like, like they, they were born in Ukraine. They're immigrants. Um, oh, yeah. So I, great. I, I, yeah, more I, immigrants enriching us with their ethnic feuds. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey, I didn't, I didn't know that you didn't know that. Yeah. He's Ukrainian. That's the even funnier part about this is Vindemans. The Vindemans are, they were born in Ukraine. They're from Ukraine. Huh. And so wait, so the Vindemans were born in Ukraine and then they were dishonest about U S actions in Ukraine. Uh, namely that it was all very corrupt and that he basically said whatever he needed to say to make sure that the flow of arms continued from American taxpayers into his ethnic homeland. Well, that's what's that's what's really funny is so Eugene Vindeman is trying to run and like, am I crazy? Probably, but for like, separate reasons. I'm pretty sure it's his twin brother. Although hilariously, I just, I just looked up. I'm, I like jumped onto Wikipedia real quick. Um, I just looked him up and it doesn't actually, ha- it doesn't have his brother listed as a relative, which I think is really funny. Um, anyway, so hmm. Alexander Vindeman, which is the guy that we all, we all know. Um, yeah. And his, oh, he goes oh. by Eugene. That's why. Eugene's not his real oh. name. <laughs> his name's Yevgeny. Right? Yevgeny. No way. Yeah, Yevgeny. But he goes by Eugene. That's why this is confusing. Okay. Of course. So, yeah, his twin brother, Yevgeny, were born in the Ukrainian so- Soviet Socialist Republic. Oh, my God. To a Jewish family. After the death of their mother, the three-year-old twins and their older brother, Leonid, sorry, were brought to New York by their Mm. father, Semyon, or Simon. Neat. And they grew up in Brooklyn's Brooklyn's Brighton Beach neighborhood. The twins appear briefly with their maternal grandmother in Ken Burns' documentary, The Statue of Liberty. Okay. Okay, so... All right, so these dudes, yeah, so young kids, they were brought over, um, yeah, they, they they were brought over by uh, a Ukrainian Jewish family, which is probably, like, they're probably huge fans of Zelensky, who's also a Jewish Ukrainian. Yeah. That's, uh, I know that that's a very big deal for people, because I remember uh, that Joel Pollack, uh, he does, um, mm-hmm. he's one of the guys at Breitbart. Um was very, very excited and said that, like, as somebody who is Jewish, it was a very big deal to see a Jewish man become yeah. the president. I mean, of I, I've noticed that about a lot of people. I think mm-hmm. that Zelensky being a Jewish head of state, there's a lot of Jewish Americans that look at that and are very excited that there is a essentially another Jewish head of state, especially as a wartime leader. I think they see a special bond with Zelensky and go, well, he's Jewish. I'm Jewish. He's a wartime leader. He's under yeah. threat. I think, and it's understandable that if you were Jewish, you would have a certain, I guess, feeling of allegiance and solidarity with Zelen- with Ukraine and Zelensky, right. because a lot of you, a lot, there's a large Jewish population there. You, Zelensky's Jewish. A lot of people in his cabinet and government are Jewish. I can see how American Jews would feel a level of solidarity with them, just like they do with Israel. 
Now, what's interesting about these two is, so you have one brother that's running for Congress, and then the other brother was the guy that blew the whistle and stood in front and everybody's like, he's such a fucking hero yep. and wham. And in fact, by the way, just I want to remind everybody that Tammy Duckworth, uh, the senator, um, Senator Tammy Duckworth held up every single U.S. Army promotion until uh, Alexander Vindeman was given his um, colonel his full bird colonel. She held up every single U.S. Army officer promotion until, even though Vindeman was already retiring, but she held up every single U.S. Army promotion until he was promoted to colonel. Well, you know, Democrats are really good at supporting their friends and punishing their enemies. Now, I do want to note that because, because this guy's running for Congress and all of that, him and his brother are owners of a defense company now oh is that defense company getting millions of dollars in say ukraine contracts how did you know oh i i just i just wildly guess i had no i mean i'm shocked absolutely shocked wait it isn't the i guess i shouldn't be shocked because the secretary defense is a former board member of raytheon (laughs) i and a bunch and if you look at the uh data a bunch of congressmen and senators have been buying stock in companies like raytheon at right before they pass a bunch of defense spending bills. But man, what a, what a fascinating coincidence. Yeah. The, the Vindeman family runs a uh, logistics firm that's uh, selling a shitload of services. So the idea is that it's a logistics oh. service to fix, uh, fix and maintain weapon systems closer to the front line in Ukraine. That sounds like money laundering. Yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. So, so that's happening. (laughs) So this guy blows this whistle on, on all of this stuff that basically results in, in, in the impeachment of Donald Trump gets out of the army, turns around and is immediately profiting off of the war in Ukraine. Fucking fascinating. Absolutely. What an incredible turn of events that no one could have predicted. Yeah, a war that would not have happened if Donald Trump were in office. Well, that's true. So, speaking of, give us a give us a little bit of a rundown. You watched the Putin interview with Tucker Carlson. So, I did. So, give everybody kind of a rundown on what that was. Okay, so uh, Tucker Carlson went to Moscow, uh, sat in the Kremlin with Vladimir Putin, and did an interview. Uh, it was about two hours long. To me, I found it absolutely fascinating. And I highly recommend that everybody go and watch it. Take two hours out of your day and watch it because it was a fascinating insight into Putin's worldview and the way that he sees events. So a lot of this interview started with Tucker Carlson essentially being saying, well, like explain the, the war in Ukraine. And Putin then unbidden just launches into about a 30 minute from off the cuff lecture on Russian history going back a few hundred years essentially and essentially with no notes in front of him gives the entire history of the region that we currently call Ukraine going back to like the year 1000 essentially to make the case of the area that we and ends essentially the uh, synopsis is he basically lays out saying, here is the history of the region. Half of Ukraine tr- has traditionally been considered Poland. 
And the other half has always been considered Russia. Like Belling, going back to Catherine the Great, it was officially incorporated into the Russian Empire as an area of Russia. And it was part of the Russian Empire. And then he goes all the way up to the Soviet Union where he says, well, because a lot of the Bolsheviks had a ethnic tie to the area of Ukraine, a lot of them came from Ukraine, the people like um, a lot of the early Bolsheviks, I don't know specifically about Trotsky or Lenin, but he basically, his thesis was, well, because a lot of the early rulers of the Bolshevik party during the revolution came from the area that we call Ukraine, Lenin created, carved it off into its own autonomous republic inside the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union, Union of Socialist Soviet Republics, it was set up with all these different republics under the greater Soviet government. And the and he basically points to yeah and so lenin for the first time in history basically drew the borders of ukraine as this own little autonomous region that would have a slightly different set of rules than everywhere else essentially because a bunch of lenin's friends were from there and he could then put them in positions of power over ukraine like the bolsheviks were pretty nepotistic and so that he's like yeah that's where ukraine as it currently stood came from was lenin just drew these borders around an area that was always just Russia. And Carlson's like, so like, you can just invade them? He's like, yeah, well, like, the idea that Ukrainians are some sort of how different or separate from Russia is essentially, he was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, this area was a geographical aberration that was created in the 20th century. Let's not kid ourselves that it has this long storied history apart from Russia. And so again, 30 minutes of just, here's Russian history. Then, to me, what was the more interesting part of the interview was Putin then launched into the a timeline of the all of the recent U.S.-Russia relations from the Russia pers Russian perspective, which was, to me, absolutely fascinating because the narrative it built was very different than what we've heard. Now, regardless of, you can say Putin's lying, you can say whatever. But the narrative that he put forth is was totally coherent and makes his actions as president of Russia seem very reasonable. And essentially, his narrative was this, like, well, then the Soviet Union collapsed. It was gone. Russia was now a new country under Boris Yeltsin. And we wanted to work with everybody and, and, get, and end the Cold War. We didn't want the Cold War to keep going. He's like, then NATO agreed with us to never go east like nato like the soviet union was gone nato wasn't going to keep expanding east we're going to stop being enemies and it's like and then nato violated its promise and kept going east and we said well that's you can't just do that but we're not in a position of power to do anything about it fine then nato essentially invaded yugoslavia on false premises and carved up the country which is the kosovo, kosovo war and putin got really animated talking about saying it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Russia has a long history with the Serbian people. We weren't just going to... We And then here they were getting abused by NATO. He blamed Yeltsin a great deal for allowing that to happen without Russian pushback and seemed to indicate that Yeltsin's failure to prevent NATO from just carving up Yugoslavia on its... without uh, unilaterally without an international agreement was one of the reasons it seemed like Putin said that's what galvanized him to become president. 
And then he becomes president in 2000. And he lays out, and he's like, yeah, I became president. I went and talked at the EU and said, now is the time to put aside our differences. We want the Cold War to be over. We want to be partners. We want to cooperate. He said, I received rounds of applause. And, but then, you know, and I think, and then the September 11th attacks happened. And he said, and he, well, uh, going back, he says he talked to Bill Clinton and said, you know, like you're expanding NATO. Can Russia join NATO? Could we ever join NATO? You know, the Cold War's ended. Could we join NATO? And he said, they was told, absolutely not. Russia will never join NATO. And so he said, well, okay, fine. Maybe we don't join NATO. I get it. We were enemies. And then he said the 2001 terrorist attacks happened. And he saw this as an opportunity for Russia can build bridges. We can cooperate. We can bury the bad blood, which they did. Russia absolutely was an initial partner in the whole war on terror. They allowed our planes to fly through their airspace, their shared intelligence. They had their own militant Muslim problem in the Caucasus. You know, Russia, and he's laying out, he's like, yeah, and so I thought we could help. We could slowly over time build more cooperation. He's like, but then I found out that America was funding separatist movements inside my country in the caucuses on my borders they were funding separatist movements he's like i thought that wasn't crazy i thought we weren't at war anymore and it turns out yes the united states was in fact funding separatist movements through the cia and he says i talked to presidents i aired my concerns they assured me that this was a mistake and that they were going to do something about it and then they never did and nothing ever happened and they just kept they just kept funding terrorist movements inside my country this was the oh that was the setup for the um, South Ossetia conflict, I don't know if you remember, but during the Olympics, Russia invaded this chunk of Georgia. And Putin's explanation was, the CIA was funding separatist movements. I asked them to stop. They never stopped. So we had to like, launch a military act action to prevent these a separatist like civil war inside Russia in this little area. And then he keeps going forward and he goes, well, and then NATO kept going east and we said, well, we don't want you to do that. Stop going east. Stop going east. And then came this idea for a European missile defense shield. And Putin lays out, he's like, oh, I was so excited. There was a missile defense program. We were going to protect Europe. And he, and, he's, and he says, I approached America. And I said, you know, Russia's willing to help. We want to be included. We can all like cooperate and agree on something here. We can make this happen. And then he was told, we don't want any Russian help. And he kept, and he's like, well, and then what? And then so I was like, well, screw you guys and then it's like suddenly there's a coup in ukraine and he goes well i wonder who could possibly be behind that and they it's like and then nato announces that ukraine's going to be part of nato and he stringently and he lays out this whole narrative of we kept trying to be your friends you never kept your promises to us you always betrayed our trust there's and he goes there's you there was a coup in ukraine and then we there was the maidan um, oh, the protests under Yanukovych. And he says, we came to the, we had an agreement. Yanukovych was going to tell the police and the army to stand down, which he did. And then NATO and their armed protesters in the city, they launched a violent coup. They totally betrayed the ceasefire we agreed to, to launch a violent coup. And in the aftermath, we went, well, these people clearly are not interested in peace. The citizens of Crimea basically asked Russia to come in. Russia was like, well, that's our primary neighbor base. Everybody there's basically ethnic Russian. We're going to invade Crimea. And then, he said, and then he made a very interesting point. He says, well, there was a coup in the country. And then the, that country then sent its army 
to go crush and kill the people that had a problem with there being a coup, which was the Donbass Civil War, where the Donbass region of eastern and, and southern Ukraine declared independence from Ukraine after the coup because they say, we do not support this illegitimate government. And then the Ukrainian government promptly sent its army to crush these crush these people. And Russia said, and your army to crush the people who didn't agree with the coup? That's insane. And he's like, fast forward to now when it was when NATO for Ukraine was again. He's like, well, we eventually pushed. Like, what did he, he said? Well, what do you expect us to do? We're being killed right across our border by the Ukrainian army. We weren't just going to sit by and let. So they invaded. And again, he says, well, invaded. We were marching on Kiev. And I didn't know this. And I would have to look it up. But according to Putin, he was told by NATO that if he withdrew his troops away from Kiev and announced if he ordered his troops to cease offensive operations, that would be the precursor to negotiations to stop the war. Now, I remember when Russia pulled its troops back from Kiev, it was heralded by the West as they've been beaten back by the glorious might of the Ukrainian army. Well, if it turns out that they were ordered to cease that offensive and ordered to quit Kiev, Putin, as a precursor, as a sign of the faith to start negotiations to end the war, which we know they were doing at the time, they immediately start doing negotiations. They have a peace treaty on the table. Putin's ready to sign it. Zelensky's ready to sign it. And then here comes Boris Johnson and NATO and says, absolutely don't sign it. Like, go on the offensive. Russia will give you the weapons you need. And Putin's like, and then they just betrayed that trust. They betrayed that act of good to go back on the offensive. And it, the war is basically stalemated out. And he kind of was like, I don't really need to talk to the president anymore. There was a lot of discussion by Carlson to say, well, have you talked to Biden? Have you tried to do this? And he's like, why? No one in the United States can keep a promise to me. Who do I even talk to? It's clearly your presidents aren't in charge. Clearly your Congress isn't in charge. They make promise, they've made promises to me my entire political career over the last 20 years, and they've never kept a single one. So why would I bother even talking to you anymore? You, you, you can't, you're not trustworthy. And that's honestly very true. I look at the Biden administration, I look at the U.S. government's actions the last 20 years, and I'm honestly starting to come to the same realization as Putin. These people are not, like the U.S. government isn't trustworthy and has continuously betrayed its trust, not just to Russia, but to the American people. It's the same story. Like Putin's got the same complaints about the U.S. government that I do. So I kind of was watching this going, well, from the totally opposite perspective, he and I both share the same assessment of the U.S. government is completely untrustworthy and focused on objectives that are not the objectives they state on the surface. They don't care about the U.S. government doesn't care about democracy. It cares about power. And I think and Putin's like, yeah, that's what they do. And I thought it, so I thought it was absolutely fascinating seeing it from his perspective. Now, maybe you can say Putin's evil or whatever. He doesn't come across that way in this interview. He comes across as very rational, as very as thoughtful, as intelligent, as relatively quick-witted. And that's such a far cry from when I look at any American politician. It's like Joe Biden can't barely even string a sentence together. He cares about, you know, ice cream's gotten too expensive. And here's Putin saying, the future of the world is cooperation between nations. We need to cooperate. That's what we need to do. Putin even went on a long rant about how stupid it was the United States was devaluing its own currency. He was basically, he was, he was baffled. 
he's sitting there going, telling Carlson, he's like, why are you doing this? Why are you destroying your credibility in the world? Why are you destroying your currency? You, like, you're sanctioning us. You're doing all these things. You're refusing to cooperate with China. And it's just destroying your own economy. What is wrong with you? And I watched this and went, yeah, what is wrong with us? This seems crazy. <laughs> there seems no reason for the things that we're doing that are just hurting America in the long run. So I would highly recommend everyone else watch it and get their own assessment. I found it very interesting to see what Putin's complaints were about the United States and his sort of worldview. And it was an interesting interview because it kind of, in the end, delved into what is Putin's greater, I guess, view on the world and philosophy. And it seemed a lot like one of the things he mentioned, again, I'm told I can't trust the guy, mm -hmm. but I can't trust Joe Biden or anybody other people either. So I have to go on what they say. Well, you're told you, he said, you're not like, just told not to trust is, him. You're you were yeah, told I'm, not to yeah. listen at all. Exactly. I was told not to listen to it at all. And what is the evil, awful ruler of Russia? What's his core philosophy is he's like the world is split into two that is causing chaos and destruction. And basically the world is sick. And we need to not be split into two. We need to be united and together and to cooperate and find peaceful resolutions to all these things. And he kind of made this interesting point where he's like, you know, the Russian mindset is more human focused and, th and like this. And the Western mindset is more pragmatic. And if the two of them were united, we could basically build off the best impulses of each and He's like, it is like the right brain and the left brain, and you need both parts of the brain, and together they make this great whole that is greater than the sum of their parts. And I guess I thought, you know, I don't, my goals might be different than Putin's. The goals of the United States might be different than his. But he certainly doesn't come across as unhinged, unreasonable, or crazy. He comes across as someone that was making points like, it is, it is important that every Russian can like raise a good family, but for them to raise a good, prosperous family, the Russian state has to be being run well and effectively and prosperous. And these things are all combined. And I was like, well, hell, I agree with that. Like, if the United States was being run for the benefit of American citizens rather than a tiny international elite, then like that seems totally natural. That seems much a much more natural state than we're just going to flood our country with foreigners because it'll increase GDP. So in the end, I thought it was, and it was also not nearly as inflammatory as it could be. Putin seemed to, to actively refuse to engage with being baited into condemning the United States or embarrassing the American ruling class. There's a couple times Tucker Carlson asked questions like, well, why do you think they hate you so much? Why do you think they've been lying to you? And instead of what he easily could have said, which I'm sure Putin knows is, oh, these people are a bunch of liars who are in league with these you know, forces trying to usher in some great reset or the deep state. He just simply said, you know, I don't know why they don't want to deal with me. I don't know why they're doing the things they're doing. I'm going to refuse to essentially comment on what their motivations are. I'm just going to tell you they clearly are not interested in peaceful negotiations. And that was an interesting conscious decision on his part. Because I feel like he's trying to leave, he it was trying to leave the door open to, I have to deal with these people. The U.S. government, the deep state, whatever, it's not going away overnight. And I can only just sort of tell, say this is what the situation is, but I'm going to be a little bit delicate because I don't want to embarrass them, which would then make cooperation impossible. 
Right. And it's interesting because regardless of how people feel about it, you know, of course, there's a lot of uh, anger and rage over the fact that Tucker Carlson even did this interview. He's being accused of treason by people for even conducting an interview with Putin. And even there's a lot of people on the right that are just like, oh, my God, don't listen to anything he says. How how, basically how dare anyone even be excited over the fact that he gave like a 30 minute long lecture? It's so pathetic. Oh, whatever. Anyway, so there's all of this. Um, It doesn't matter whether you think what he's saying is true or whether you think he was being honest. It is also the Mm -hmm. most likely what the Russian people believe. And that is something that you need to know and people need to consider because there's an entire generation of Russians that are, you know, coming of age that are young and what have you. And this is what they're being told. And yeah, they're being told that the United States of America is not trustworthy. And to be fair, well, not even that just like everyone, everyone is going to accuse their enemy country, let's say, um, of being untrustworthy because the response that we're going to get from the United States state department is, well, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin breaks his promises. They're going to say the same thing. It doesn't matter because what the, the subtext of everything that Putin is saying and that the Russian people are hearing, you know, especially, especially if you think that Putin's the giant dictator that uh, we're told he is here in the West, then that means that Russians are basically being fed propaganda at full speed. And so what they're being told is that America thinks that you are their enemy. Yeah. And we are doing literally zero um, to assuage that concern. We are doing everything. Yeah. If you look at Western media. If you look at Western media, if any Russian is able to get a hold of Western media, they're going to go, oh, well, Vladimir's telling the truth. Because, yeah, if you read Western media, you'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, President Putin's right. America does think we're their enemy. And remember, we're not in an open war with Russia. But Mm -hmm. if you look at how the U.S. government currently and how the U.S. media presents Russia, you would think that we're still in the Cold War. Yeah. Which is it? Which I thought, I guess uh, that's what what I found so interesting was in my head, the Cold War is over. But Putin lays out a very strong case for in the minds of the people that are running the United States, the Cold War never ended, and they kept doing the they kept the exact same enemies, they kept the yep. exact same uh, worldview, and that that world and his I guess his greater thesis is that worldview is is obsolete, and trying to hold on to it is not going to is going to deliver nothing but ruin to the United States, which again I thought was a very interesting idea and is I think very much worth considering. Is the United is the world the same way it was during the Soviet Union? Is the United States still the world's sole superpower? He made a very strong point for the Chinese economy has eclipsed that of the United States, and is only going to eclipse it further as time goes on. And the United States is going to have to deal with that, whether it wants to or not. And I was like, well, that's pretty smart. And also, I this the interview reinforced. What Putin's words did reinforced a lot of the things that I also had uh, that I have independently come to conclusions I'd independently come to about Russia. Mm -hmm. 
like one of the things was I've been looking at Russia and going, all of these sanctions are having the opposite effect because they're basically making Russia be self-sufficient and effective, which is going to serve them much very well in the future. And one of the things Putin pointed out, he's like, yeah, we're the most sanctioned country in the world. Yet last year we grew we grew to the the top economy in Europe. Yeah. Which it's like, man, that's that is a damning indictment of the U.S. regime of sanctions. If Russia can become the world's the biggest economy in Europe whilst under all of our sanctions, then our sanctions don't matter. And that should actually be kind of alarming to people, because if we if the United States flexing our economic might does not have the same return that it used to, that means the world is a different place now and we should be very careful about how we tread. Yeah, well, and and I mean, I think it's interesting enough just the way that people have reacted to something as simplistic as this interview mm-hmm. is also very telling. Like, yes, who cares? I, I don't think it's just, okay, if, if a group of people decide that they think Putin's like, great, oh, okay, the what what is what who cares you know what i mean like i, I don't understand um so you what you're saying is what you he, what the reaction we saw from the us ruling class and the media on this were don't listen to the interview everything putin says is wrong everything he yeah. says is a lie like nothing to see here folks like everybody just go about your business just nothing to see here it's just, like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain yeah it 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 felt like fear to me yeah very much so and, and I think that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And it, and it's just like, I, I mean, I just. And the question is, why is the fear? What What is the U.S. ruling class afraid of here? And I think it is that their narrative on how the world works and what is good and right in the world is absolutely false. And they're terrified that it's going to become obvious to everyone that they are sent that essentially the, the uh, emperor has no clothes. Yeah. Yeah, because like, it's just. I don't know. It's just, it's one of those, like, like I've, I've seen Muammar Gaddafi, you know, back before Hillary Clinton had him murdered. Um, I, they had interviews with him. They had interviews with Saddam Hussein. They had interviews, you know, like I've seen all of these people be interviewed. Yeah. I, I remember watching, uh, 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 shoot. What was the, uh, oh, I'm, I'm having a Biden moment, I guess. Um, ah. <laughs> Bashar al-Assad of Syria. I saw him get interviewed. None of these, nobody was ever worried about, oh, like, don't listen to what Bashar al-Assad has to say. Don't listen to him. It's all propaganda. It's all lies. Like, nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody seemed to be bothered by that. But Tucker Carlson goes and has a two-hour interview with Putin. And, like, literally, there, there are literally people saying that this should be treason. Well, and it's very strange because there's clearly something about Putin that the Western media class finds so much more threatening than if someone went and interviewed Assad in Syria or interviewed, like you said, Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein or Xi Jinping in China. There's something about Putin that they see as more threatening. And it's hard to really pin down what that exactly is, but it seems like whatever. Again, these are the people that hate us. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like whatever they say is bad for them. I kind of want to get that's that honestly is what stoked my skepticism on their narrative about Russia to begin with and made me start to wonder and look into Putin's history and go, well, what is this guy 
maybe this guy's actually in the right. If the people that I think are hate me, that say they hate me and are actively destroying my country don't like think this guy is their enemy, well, maybe he's not my enemy at that point. Maybe he's at minimum like the enemy of my enemy. Well, is at minimum not my enemy. I got the sense watching this interview that if the United States wasn't taking a ludicrous line with Russia, Putin would be totally willing to accept the United States as a partner. Could it and be there's something nothing actually in the history of Putin that really makes me that concerned? It's like, oh, what, what, yeah, what's so bad about him? How he invades foreign countries? Well, according to Putin and according to you know our own documentation, the CIA was actively fomenting revolu revolution in those countries on his border, which is kind of reasonable. Oh, he kills, he kills, he has, he has people murdered. Oh, like that one journalist that was, you know, that one anti-Putin journalist that, that got killed in London, like, yeah, I mean, Obama was drone striking U.S. citizens. Like, I kind of, the things that are so bad about Putin don't seem to justify the insane hatred that the American ruling class has for the guy. Well, and it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's one of those weird, like, it almost, it could be something as stupid as so many people in our government are just so fucking old that the Cold War never ended for them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, easily, easily, yeah. It, it's like, it's like uh, imagine that a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people from the 1960s were debating mm -hmm. something in Vietnam and it's a bunch of Vietnam vets and they're like, no, it's a bunch of damn commies, damn VC. Blah. And you're just like, guys, guys, war's been over. For like, really they're not commies time. anymore. And again, even if they were, what's the plan? The United States dominates the world through force and violence rather than any kind of attempt at cooperation. Well, if we were it's actually like, I doing that, I see it, people talk that way. Like, well, we should just force them to do what we want. If we like, were, I don't know, guys. Like, if we that were doing seems that, like that's not going to be better. If we were doing mm -hmm. that, then it would probably work out better. If it was some sort of imperialist, like you know, freaking crusade or something, then yeah, yeah. But no, like people talk like that. But then we do like something gayer, <laughs> like yeah. color revolutions. I mean, like I understand what you're saying, but it's like if if the United States were like legit, like launching, you know, like a like a 40k style. Uh, you know, crusade across, you know, across the world of just, you know, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, Amer uh, the, the American principles will be accepted or you or you get the rifle. Um, sure, that would be more successful than whatever the hell it is we're doing, which is basically we're going to call it democracy. But in reality, we're just going to siphon every we're, we're going to use your country for slave labor and money laundering for our political parties. Yeah. Like we're not even doing like cool imperialistic shit. We're doing like gay UN NATO shit where it's like we're going to pretend like we're going to pretend like we're all squishy and good natured and everything's wonderful. And then we're going to haphazardly fund weird proxy wars that aren't actually going to work well and just turn everything to shit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like. The, sorry, the thing you just described, I almost wanted to be like, no, I wish we were actually doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, e even even though I don't necessarily agree with it, you know, like going through and pushing violence. And, no, well, it's, like, it's it, it, I understand it's what like you mean. The but US, we're bad at that. The too. US whole 
idea like we're not actually not that bad at it we're not good at it so yeah like, iraq afghanistan vietnam like the u.s has failed at every single one of those things mm -hmm. so the idea that we're going like that we can do that requires us to be so much more serious and we and the same people that that say the united states should just dominate the world through force and you know demand that other countries respect what we want them to do those same people have undercut U.S. manufacturing, destroyed our industrial base, deindustrialized the United States, and made it so that we no longer have the economic and military capability to enforce that kind of thing, right. even if we wanted to. It's like they've alienated the entire U.S. basically like military class. It's like that's that's why we're having a recruiting crisis is because these people have abs. It's because people like Mitch McConnell squandered the country they inherited and delivered us ruin at for their own personal gain which is why we're now in a situation where we basically are subservient to we we have is become a multipolar world that is no longer US superpower domination because of our own making yeah. it's not that china's gotten better it's not that russia's gotten better like they certainly have but they have only gotten better in relation to the united states because we stopped getting better Sure, there was the dot-com boom, but mm -hmm. that doesn't translate to – that is tenuously translated to world power. The United States has a powerful economy, powerful sectors. Like We had a lot of benefits, but those things, I think, are simply the inertia of the country that was created in the basically 50s and 60s, and we've only hindered ourselves from, from that anymore. Like. We shackled ourselves to this idea of globalism for short-term gain, but I don't think it's going to deliver long-term peace and stability for the American people. No, I agree. And, but yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, uh, obviously, this uh, this interview is going to continue making its rounds, and we're going to continue watching the liberal freak out over it, which mm -hmm. is just, it's hilarious and impressive. And I, I, I think the, the real... The real um, uh, thing that's going to come out of it like the the takeaway uh that the audience is going to get is all of this screeching flailing and freaking out and then you listen to it and you just kind of go yeah okay because it was a pretty basic interview it there wasn't anything too yeah. shocking he didn't he didn't insult any u.s politicians he just said this is how i feel about stuff and people can agree or disagree with it and that's all totally fine um but it makes him look honestly rather benign but well-spoken yeah. and to be fair, um, I think the actual fear that people have is the juxtaposition of how he speaks and how he carries himself versus really most American politicians. I think that was the scary part oh, is yeah. everyone's Absolutely. looking at it and going, who's, who's the politician that we have that's comparable to this guy. And there wasn't one. I mean, maybe as an orator, people could try to claim Obama, but let's just be honest. No, <laughs> like not even close. Yeah. Like, yeah, Obama it's was crazy. made in a lab and a gay lab that basically turned into Netflix. That's what happened. Um, uh, that's, that's not a bad analysis of the situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was the scary part is people are going to be like, Oh shit they're going to realize just how lame U.S. politics is in comparison mm -hmm. to somebody like a Putin, which, yeah, you can think that he's a terrible person and all this other stuff. You're sure. 
that that's totally fine and, and even somewhat understandable in a lot of ways. But what you can't deny is from a quality perspective, like it's hard to imagine what politician could go toe to toe with somebody like that and not get just have the brakes yeah. beat off them. I mean, it's it. Uh, Putin, him, Putin seemed better on camera than any president I've ever seen in my lifetime, including Trump. Yeah. The only reason why more Trump reasonable, he seemed more thoughtful. He seemed quicker on his feet. I mean, the guy's even younger than almost any president I've ever seen. Yeah, I, don't I mean, even Obama not was sitting. Obama, honestly, probably was the closest the U.S. has had to a president that sounds as good and reasonable. But mm -hmm. I think Obama backed it up with it was all lies. Now, maybe it's all lies with Putin, but it still puts us back at square one of if I have to have a liar, at least I have at least Putin seems interested in the future of the Russian people, whereas American politicians seem to want to spite the American people at every turn. Right. Well, and remember, um, this is going to have to be the final part of the show because we're over time now. But one of the other things that I have to remind you all of is um, just, a, just what a year or so ago, uh, the U.S. media was telling us how spry and healthy Joe Biden was. And they were also claiming that Putin had cancer and that he was hiding. Oh, God. And remember, there was all of these things about Putin's actually dying. He's very sick. He's not doing well. And now we see what seems to be a perfectly healthy man next to a president that a special counsel said, we can't charge him for the crimes he committed because he's too uh, elderly and decrepit to withstand yeah. a trial, but he's still the leader of your country. Cause that makes total sense. Um, but that's going to be it for right. us this week. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll go over whatever the reactions are there. Uh, go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio, become a subscriber and uh, that way it's only $2.99 a month and you can get access to our Discord and all the other cool stuff that we have going on there. Uh, other than that, I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. This is Wrong Think Radio. Catch you all next week.